The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Good morning, Summit Church. I'm thrilled that you're here today. It's actually a pretty big day for us as a church as we're going to launch into our 21 days of prayer. Hope you've heard about it a little bit, but this is really something that's near and dear to my heart, and I want to tell you where it came from. I want to tell you why we're doing it. Yes, over the next three weeks, we'll talk on prayer. It will culminate with Easter Sunday, which is incredible and exciting, Uh, but there is a why. There's a heart behind it that actually goes back to January. In January, I pulled our full-time staff together. We read a book, uh, read a book about leadership and the importance of understanding while each of our staff have their own individual roles and ministries, we need to have vision and direction as far as what we're emphasizing as a church as a whole and as a staff as a whole. So I I sent them away for for a day to just think, what, what is important? What do we need to highlight over this next 90 days or year, uh, what can we be working together as a team on? And it was one of those amazing moments. I, I didn't lay any foundation. I didn't come in with any ground rules. I didn't give them thing, four things to pick from. Everyone could have come back literally with anything. And we went around the room on a Tuesday morning and the same two things just kept coming up over and over and over again. Our staff, your staff, wanted to see more life transformation. They wanted to see the hurting restored. They wanted to see the lost found. They wanted to see people come to saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In Oklahoma City campus, we have this new baptistry. We want to see people in it. We want to see baptisms. Our, Our staff just kept saying that. And then the other thing that came up over and over and over again was an emphasis on prayer. Prayer for ourselves, prayer prayer that we need to be praying more, but also that as a church, we would press into prayer because it unlocks the power of God. And it's really amazing that those two things were just highlighted by everyone. And so obviously the Lord's in that, God's in that. That is what we're emphasizing within our ministries and as a church. And this 21 days of prayer is one of the things that came from that. And, And here's why we're starting with prayer none of us can change a life. We don't have the ability to change someone's heart. God alone can do that. But one of the ways that God does that is through the prayers of his people. So if we wanna see life transformation, if we wanna see that begin to happen, and we do, we're praying for that earnestly. If we wanna see that, we have to begin with prayer. And that's why we're starting with that now. And, and yes, looking towards Easter, I'm excited. I'm believing that God is going to do massive, huge things. And so today, today, as we start this series on prayers, we start this 21 days with devotionals, with different prayer gatherings, just an emphasis on prayer. I wanna explain why prayer is so important. And, and it's really because it unlocks the power of God. We say that all the time. But taking that one step further, the fruit of unlocking the power of God is seeing God move in supernatural ways, ways and things that we could never do without him on our own. 
I, I want to see that. And one of the ways I want to illustrate God's movement because of his people praying is, is by quickly just highlighting some of the revivals that have occurred within our world. Okay. If you do a quick Google search of revivals, or sometimes they're called awakenings, just huge movements of God in a period of time with a specific group of people. If you do any research on that at all, you'll see that there have been hundreds of documented revivals. Some you've maybe heard of, some you haven't. But if you start to look at what thread weaves through them all, it's the people of God praying earnestly for God to move. Okay, so just a a few of the revivals. First, one you've probably not heard of, the Hebridean Revival. This happened on two islands in Scotland between 1949 and 1952. So if you know your history, just after World War II is over, there's a great kind of depression in Scotland over the loss of lives, over uh, having to rebuild of their communities and their homes. And, And so from that depression... From that loss, from from that tragedy, God began to move. And the Hebridean revival lasted three years. The number of souls that were saved were over 100,000 just on two small islands, but it was birthed out of a desperation prayer of the church. There's an author, the article that I was reading about this that actually went to Scotland just a few years ago and found 11 surviving members of this revival. They're in their 80s now. And he interviewed them. He interviewed them individually. What, what stood out to you in this three-year period? What was it about this three-year period that made it so unique that, that God moved in such a profound way? They all did mention that there was this essence of strong preaching. Men and women filling the pulpit and preaching boldly the word of God. That's typically found in revival. But they mentioned that more as a side note. When interviewed, they said specifically what was unique was that there was a kind of spiritual posture among those at the core of the awakening. They all told, all that were interviewed, of an attitude of brokenness and desperation that stirred the Christians in that day with a spirit of necessity and audacity, a manner of prayer that was categorized as daring and agonizing. Now, daring prayer we get, but agonizing prayer... That's an an interesting assessment, yet they all said it. There was a need, there was a groaning, there was a hunger for God to come and to meet them in their desperation. And they prayed painfully for God to do that. And sure enough, he did. Paul actually talks about this in Galatians chapter four, verse 19. What, What a raw passage this is. It says, my dear children, Paul talking about his children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth and will be until Christ is formed in you. I will hurt and I will groan for you until I see Jesus take root in your life. That was his goal. That was his mission. And the way that he wanted to see that come to be was through prayer, through agonizing prayer for his children, his people. I just wonder, church, do we have that? Do we pray in that manner for God to come and move out of a great desperation? There have been three great awakenings 
historians agree on that. But the first great awakening happened in the colonies in 1734. And Jonathan Edwards, maybe you've heard that name. He was kind of at the forefront of it. He wrote extensively about what happened during this period of time. But young Jonathan Edwards comes out of seminary and he goes to Northampton, Massachusetts, a town of 1,100 people. He fills the role of the preacher in that town and he begins to fervently pray for those 1,100 people. He works diligently day after day, calling men and women to faith. Over the first year of his ministry, he wrote that there were five or six conversions. And he was disappointed in that. One of those conversions was a young woman. And and here's his exact words. He says, she had been one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. Oops. She'd been around. And this is one of the five or six converts. And, And he goes on to say that he feared her conversion would douse any flame that there was, but quite the opposite took place. 300 souls converted in the next six months in a town of 1,100. One woman that everyone knew who had a bad reputation. Her life is transformed by Jesus because Jonathan Edwards is praying fervently that God would move. And then over a quarter of the town comes to know the Lord in the next six months. That's incredible, but it didn't stop there. The great awakening part is then the same thing started happening in over a hundred small towns in the northeastern colonies. There's another name that came from this, George Whitfield. You've maybe heard that name. He was known as a fiery, dynamic preacher of the gospel. And George Whitfield, he, he came into the picture a few years after. It was in 1739. But it is said that he preached to 80% of those living in the colonies at that point. 900,000 people living in the colonies and he preached to 80% of them. There's no television. There's no internet. He stood in front of people with his Bible and he preached the word of God. And men and women came to know Jesus. That's a movement That's radical. And it was birthed out of one man's passion to reach his community. And then God took that spark and fanned it in to an enormous flame. There's a more recent revival. It's called the Azusa Street Revival. From it came the modern charismatic movement. But if you don't know the beginnings of it, it was one man. It was William Seymour, an African-American preacher with one eye. From the holiness movement, he goes to LA on the view of a call. The church was wanting him to fill the pulpit, to be their preacher. He was supposed to preach at both morning services in 1906. After he preached the first one, they locked him out of the building. It's disputed what he said, but most agree that his teaching on the Holy Spirit was too much for this church in LA. He didn't have the money to get back home. So what did he do? He gathered five friends And he met in a decrepit little house and they prayed. They prayed out of desperation. He felt like God had called him to LA and he needed to be there to do something. They prayed daily for months, five, six, seven, eight people, months. Until one day they described the Holy Spirit falling on the house. They called it their second blessing. I I believe that this happened. And from that moment forward, They met every day 
for the next three years. Every day just to pray, to, to read the word of God together. In the next three years, in the middle of it, they were given a decrepit Methodist church on Azusa Street. And every day, hundreds came and filled that building to pray and to see God move. And yes, there were manifestations of the spirit that a lot of people were uncomfortable with. The LA Times wrote tremendous articles against what was happening there. But here's the reality. The lame began to walk. The blind began to see. Hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. Would it have made me uncomfortable? Maybe, but I don't know why. It was God moving in a profound and amazing way. And I don't necessarily need Summit Church to see that, but I want to see God move. And if it comes out of a desperation prayer, then let's, let's begin there. The last revival that I want to talk about is one that some of you in this room maybe have partaken in. In 1989, Bill McCartney, the coach of the Colorado football team, came to know the Lord through an FCA event. The gospel shared, he responded. Shortly thereafter, he started to think, how cool would it be if, if I could fill our stadium, the Colorado Stadium, with men and present the gospel in the same way? In 1991, he did it for the first time, and 4,200 men showed up to the stadium, and they heard the gospel and were challenged to be men of godly faith. Two years later, 1993, 50,000 men showed up to the same stadium. That's good growth. That's impressive. 50,000 men in 1997, and I remember this. One million men met at the mall in D.C. to pray and call one another towards accountability. To get a million men to come out to say, we will take seriously our faith with Jesus. That's a miracle. That's miraculous. Some of you may have gone to DC. Some of you may have been to a Promise Keepers event, but it started because one guy wanted to see the gospel go forward and began to pray that his stadium would be filled. And look what God does. There was something about the 90s. I heard a pastor say a few months ago that if you really look God was moving in America in the 90s in a profound way. And some not so great things came from it. Some things that people like to push back on in the 90s. If you recall, a lot of churches split over contemporary worship, leaving tradition behind and moving too fast into the rock and roll. And there was a seeker sensitive movement that I think most people realize probably went too far. But here's the one thing that I want every one of you who was around in the 90s to think about. Could you picture one youth group that wasn't full? I mean, just think, one youth group that didn't have more students than they may have now. In the 90s, God was moving in America amongst the youngest generation. I, I'm just thinking about my friends. I mean, everybody was involved in the church. It was, it's, it was incredible. And I just have to believe that we as a church cannot become satisfied with showing up being fed, and then leaving. I want to be a part of something God is doing that is bigger than any of this. 
I want to be a part of a movement of God that no one can look and say, well, that was, you know, good, good preaching or you know, great children's ministry or you know, the band was phenomenal today. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And historically, what we can see is that when God starts doing something big, it's because someone or a group of people began to pray. So that's why we're doing this. That's, that's why I'm calling you to pray. Because prayer unlocks the power of God. But also, also, prayer is what initiates God's biggest movements. So what will we be expecting to see while we pray? James 5.16 says that we should see power when we pray. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We pray, God moves. The righteous person is the one who has been made righteous by Jesus. Nothing they have done themselves. It's imputed upon them. That person knows the will of God because they're clothed with Christ. And when they pray, God moves. I expect to see power and I want to pray big God-sized prayers so that when he unleashes his power, we stand back and go, wow, that was cool. So I expect to see power. I expect to see our community impacted. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves Oh church, are you hearing this? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. They will do that. Then I will hear them from heaven. And I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. We have so many broken people living amongst us. What I want to see is the church, God's people, humble themselves, seek the Lord. That agonizing, painful prayer of saying, God, we need more of you. Come on, bud, we need you. That agonizing prayer, prayer of confession that says, we are no longer perfect. We're not close. And God hears that. He forgives and heals you. And then he lets that ripple out into our land. I expect in the next 21 days to see the sick healed. Back in James chapter five, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I expect to see God heal people. So even in this room, there are those who need God to move in that way. I know I believe that he can. But when is the last time that I agonizingly prayed for him to do so? I want to see that. I want to see people coming around, those who are hurting and, and lifting them up in the name of Jesus. I want to see our elders here at the church praying. I, I, want, I want them to feel like, well, I, I, there's, there's too much. Like we got too many people. How are we going to do it? We'll figure it out. I, I can't 
express enough how much I want to see that because not only then is the sick person healed, but God is glorified and the faith of the church is emboldened and that ripples and ripples and ripples. I want to pray to see souls saved. Romans 10 verse one, it says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and therefore my prayer to God is for them is that they may be saved. When is the last time you prayed by name for someone that you know is far from God? I, I used to have a list in my Bible of names and, and it's still in there, but it's not something I'm actively doing. I, I'm very convicted by that. And over these next 21 days, I wanna make sure that I am praying for those that I know need Jesus. Letting them know that I'm praying for them. Being bold enough to share the gospel in hopes that God will be glorified and they will be saved. Luke chapter 10 verse two is, is an interesting passage because it's a passage where Jesus tells us specifically to pray for something and, and it may not tie directly into praying for the lost, but let's just read it together. Verse two, he said, he told them, this is Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. There's, there's a bunch of work out there to do, but the workers are too few. So therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. I see this as a cycle, so bear with me. One of the ways that we are going to be able to send more workers out into the harvest field is to pray for the lost to come to know Jesus because they typically are the ones who are the most excited about going back out and meeting the needs of their lost friends. So as we pray for the lost, we are actually then praying for workers to go back into the harvest field after they've come to saving relationship with Jesus. But we also then church need to be praying that we ourselves would be sent out, that God would call us, not necessarily to full-time ministry, but to ministry, to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for that. I want to ask God for that, for our communities, for his glory. In conclusion today, can I just tell you that I expect, if you haven't seen it, I expect to see God move. In the next 21 days, as we humble ourselves and pray. But may that not be the end. I don't want to get to the day after Easter and be like, whew, and I, I was glad we did that. That was a grind. We maybe, we maybe we'll maybe do that again in a year. I think we're going to see God move in such a way that it's going to fan a flame within us and within Christians in this community to desire God more and more and more. And so this won't just be a 21 day thing. But that's where we're going to start. And so I'm going to invite you into that. It begins tomorrow. 21 days to seek the face of God and to pray. The outcome is to be determined. But in faith, I believe that we will see God move. We will see the sick healed. We will see the lost come to faith in Jesus. We will get to witness God doing what God does. I believe that's gonna happen. I'm excited to see that happen. I think the only thing that will 
stop that from happening is if we fail to ask for it. James says we do not have because we do not ask. So I'm inviting you to come and begin to ask. Some of you are just like, hey, Todd, you think you thinking we're gonna have a revival here? Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be just the most amazing thing ever? We'll see what God's gonna do. But that's what I'm hoping for. And it starts with prayer. So today, as, as we respond, let's pray. We have prayer teams at both campuses. We have communion. If you want to take that to remember Jesus and why we're doing all of this. But if you need prayer, then ask. Ask God to move. If you want to pray that God's power be unlocked in someone else's circumstance, let's do it. Let's pray. And if you're sitting there going, well, you're gonna, we're going to have like a devotional tomorrow. I'll just wait till tomorrow. Don't. Don't wait till tomorrow. Let's pray. Let's see God move. Let's expect him to move. Can't wait to see what he's going to do. Father in heaven, burden our hearts for you and for prayer. Burden our hearts for the lost. Burden our hearts to to see you move in such a powerful way. Make us hungry for that. Make us yearn for that. Through your Holy Spirit, God, come and move. I pray for those who are in need today that they will seek you, that they will humble themselves and they will pray or allow us to pray with them. God, I I just want to see your hand move today for your glory. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.